Keeping It Hundo is back. I'm your host, Matty Hundo. Today's guest is Todd Marinovich. He's one of the most unique and complex individuals I've ever met. His story has been well chronicled, but he's been out of the spotlight for a long time now. The first time I ever heard Todd Marinovich's name was in a Sports Illustrated article when Todd was probably 17 years old. He was in high school in Southern California. And there was an article in Sports Illustrated that called him RoboQB. He was trained from the womb, really, by his father, Mav, to be a quarterback. And he had very controversial and innovative methods of training Todd from a month old until he became an NFL quarterback. I mean, we're talking about some pretty sick shit, like teething on kidneys, raw beef kidneys as an infant. I mean, that's that's next level. The things that really stood out to me and influenced me was Todd wasn't eating fast food. He was eating all natural food. This was something back in the 80s that was way ahead of its time and at that point I stopped eating fast food I haven't had McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's or any of that since and I was probably 13 years old something like that we'll get into that deeper with Todd and we'll talk about his path from the number one player in high school at the time to starting quarterback at USC as a freshman to first round pick and starting quarterback for the Raiders as a rookie to being addicted to drugs and living on the street. This is a story of nature versus nurture and the dichotomy of having an absentee father or a father who's overbearing. It seems like the answer to that question is a no-brainer, but after hearing this, you may reevaluate that. Todd's had several Sports Illustrated exposés as well as an ESPN 30 for 30 back in 2011 called the Marinovich Project. You wanna talk about setting the bar high. Not only did he have this pressure in his face every day from his father, but he also had to live up to the reputation of his father, who also played at USC and played for the Raiders. I mean, this stuff is, it's unattainable. And Todd reached the bar every time until he couldn't do it anymore. To put it into context, I hear stuff from my hometown about guys who don't want their kid to be a pitcher in Little League because they made the all-star team in Little League and they don't want to put that pressure on the kid. But some of the training methods that Mob Marinovich gave to his son were genius, cutting edge. It was comparable to the way the Russians trained Ivan Drago in Rocky IV. Todd even alludes to this in our conversation that some of the practices were Eastern Bloc philosophy, but you take an introverted kid with an overbearing father, put him on the biggest stage in football, and and treat him like a lab rat, I think it's a recipe for disaster, and that's what, what we witnessed as Todd became a man. Everything unraveled. I'm sure Todd has plenty of rock bottoms. They talk about rock bottom with drug addicts. I read an article where he was the backup quarterback in the CFL after he had 
exhausted all his opportunities in the NFL. Failed drug tests, stints in rehab. He went up to Canada and at halftime of a game, while the coach was giving a speech in the locker room, Todd was in one of the bathroom stalls shooting up and smoking crack. Yeah, that was a common thing for him where he would ba try to balance the ups and the downs by bringing himself up and then down or bringing himself down and then bringing himself back up with the crack. Well, he split his hand open on the crack pipe and he had to go out to, I mean, all he had to do was hold a clipboard at that point. But I would say that's, uh, that's definitely gotta be one of the rock bottoms. So I have a connection to Todd. Uh, Shea Cotton, a previous guest, was trained by Mop Marinovich. He actually discussed it in the podcast. So I went out to Palm Springs and we recorded at my hotel. I haven't recorded in a while and if Todd hadn't reached out to me, I'm not sure I would have recorded again. I know nobody cares. I know this is uh, a select audience that listens to this and I'm okay with that. I do this for, for myself and this was one I, I had to do and this was an opportunity I couldn't turn down. So thanks, Todd. And I think it's safe to say we both gained something from the Todd pod. It was therapeutic. It was fascinating to pick his brain about stuff I had read about for years. Finding out if this stuff was accurate but what a complex guy. Definitely not your typical jock, not your typical athlete. And I'm so glad that he's clean and he's a father and he's a good father. I really wish him the best on his recovery and his sobriety. I read something that said, Marv had been such an overwhelming presence in Todd's life that he needed to be diminished before his son could truly face him. Todd says it wasn't a conscious decision, but it sure makes sense. His father is suffering from late stages of Alzheimer's. Despite the abuse and controversial methods of Mob's madness, Todd has always been a staunch defender of him, saying things like, Mob loved me when I didn't love myself, and someday people will realize what a genius he is. The article went on to say, all Mav wanted to do was mold athletes, and Todd was his favorite piece of clay. I've never judged Todd. I've admired Todd. I've even aspired to be like Todd. And I absolutely empathize with what he has had to deal with. Retired NFL quarterback, former anarchist and skateboarder, current musician, father, and employed artist, this is my conversation with Todd Marinovich. Take it from there. So tell me what uh, a typical day is like for you now. Good question. I got up this morning. Um, I'm starting to sleep a little uh, in a little more. I'm an early guy. Me too. I love the early morning. It's uh, anywhere from 3.30 to 5.30. And I have a routine. And what I found is that when I uh, stick to my routine it's uh, beneficial to me. And so I get up, I read, uh, I work out, I pray, and then uh, I meditate, I start my day, and then uh, I feel like I've accomplished, like anything after that is just icing on the cake when I start my day like that. And so after that, and then I go to my uh, 
I live about 15 minutes from where I paint, where I work in a studio warehouse, and there's a uh, golf course on the way because you can't drive very far living in this desert without passing country club. <laughs> so I hit the range and I've fallen in love with golf. Um, I just switched to left-handed. So you started golfing righty. And I, you know what, I'm, I can't figure out why. Um, because all the clubs are right-handed. Probably. probably. And I'm, because I think back, I was a baseball, you know, at Little League, I played all three sports, basketball, football, baseball growing up. Same here. And I, bat, I batted right-handed. And I don't know, my dad was not, had no knowledge when it came to baseball. Because if I think if he would have if he would have had some, you would have been hitting. Lefty. I would have been hitting left. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an advantage, and so I just made the switch in January, and it's one of those things I wish I would have done it sooner. But it feels more natural. It does. Yeah, and it took you know a week or two, but I started to uh, the first thing I did that made that kind of started the whole switch was I started to putt left-handed and that was just a no-brainer I was like oh my god I'm, I'm accurate I can hit it where I want and then it went to a pitching wedge and then yesterday I just bought my first left-handed driver so you know I don't uh, take myself seriously and golf is one of the toughest games ever, if not yeah, the toughest game. Yeah, it's funny you chose golf as your sport it's yeah. such a mental game yes it's all mental I love it, absolutely. I thought that you were still maybe into the surfing. Well, I live in the desert. Well, but that's <laughs> new, though, right? The desert's new. Yeah, the desert's new. When I'm uh, when I get to the coast, which isn't far, and and I love this desert because it has a small uh, community feel to it. It is absolutely beautiful. Uh, eight months out of the year. Now, come it becomes an oven, and I've spent one summer here, and I'll never do it again. <laughs> so summers go, you go to the coast? Go to the coast, yeah. yeah. Where I, that's, uh, I grew up in the ocean, and... So did I, but I could only go in the ocean three months a year. There, yeah, it's, it's different. There's nothing like it. I, I, you were surfing at a young age? You know what, I wasn't. I That came later. I was uh, just, uh, every, like, activity that you could do on the beach I got involved in yeah. and uh, from I truly love body surfing one of my most favorite activities same ever. here because you don't need anything yeah you're not lugging anything maybe a fin or two yeah but and then boogie boarding sponging we call it or you know surfing surfing is next level it, it's uh it's hard to, it's one of those things like trying to describe childbirth to somebody that has never witnessed it and uh it's beyond words i got into it last year and it was more for the mental side of things and mm -hmm. the peaceful side of things i love the ocean i like i said i grew up around the ocean i love being in it yeah well, i always body surfed yeah. i would be out on vacation in cabo or someplace yeah. And all the surfers would be the only ones in the water because the water's a little rough, there's yes. rocks. Yep. But I'm out there body surfing and yep. nobody's out there. No. None of the people at the resort are out there. Mm -hmm. And I look like I'm crazy out there, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm talking to the surfers and I'm like, I, why don't I do this? Yeah. I need to start surfing. Yeah. And it, it's uh, like anything, the good, the ones that do it well make it look so easy. Oh my God. And then you try it and 
the actual uh, balance and standing up isn't the difficult part. There's so many uh, aspects to it from just knowing the ocean in which um, it, it just takes time. And so people want to jump in and start surfing and it's not as easy. As I don't understand when they talk about the brakes, uh, you uh-huh. know, this one's a left break yeah. with a, yeah. you know, the wind's coming off here. Yeah, and, they're, so, they're like know, scientists um, forecasting storms and tides and winds and swells. And, uh, you know, with that surfing in good conditions, I can't say uh, that snowboarding is any less fun. I have never in, tried it. Oh my god! I'll tell you what. So in the perfect world, this is this is like my goal to achieve long term is to um, because it's all about conditions when you're when you're surfing or you're snowboarding. It's a game changer if the conditions are in your favor. It just ups the ante and so much more fun can be had. And so taking a few trips a year. Uh, see, I can. This is my plan. I'll, I'll tell you a secret. I can, I can live in this desert and enjoy myself and create. And I have the best job in the world. I get to paint and create for a living. And you're good at it. I've seen your stuff. Thank you. It's very it good. took. You know what? It, it takes time, and, and that's what I put because I learned a lot from uh, athletics. And there's just no shortcuts. And people watch games. And on Sunday or Saturday, and kids are like, "Yeah, I want to do that," and th- that's awesome that they have dreams to do that. They just uh, they just don't know that every single guy out there on each team, how much time they spent doing that. There's just no. And so when I started, when I shifted, when I finally was um, seeking what's what I want to do, and I decided, uh, you know what, I just want to paint. I knew that I needed to spend a lot of time, so I made a commitment to paint every day, no matter what was going on, and I was consistent with that for five years, and now doing it for 10, you're gonna improve, (laughs) you know? But the starting point is important, like what you're starting with, and and I was a gifted, God-given ability. I see differently, and I perceive things because everybody it's all about perception and so long story short really what I wanted I'm doing what I want to do and that is talk about if there's a key to life it's having a I don't even call it a job or a profession or a career it's what I'm passionate about because I would be doing it I'd be finding a way to squeeze it in if I wasn't getting paid and now, and it was, and it was really a progression. I, I can remember my first paid job painting, and it was a counselor I had um, at one of the treatment, the many treatment centers I've been in, been to. And she went, "I will buy you a canvas and all the paint, and I'll give you two hundred bucks." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> Come on! <laughs> it shocked me, and I was like, "Holy shit!" You this... can say anything on here. What? You I can say, say okay. I just didn't stop there, I, it, and it wasn't uh, well. It was a little bit about the money because I was like, you know, what? I was scraping at the time, and so two hundred bucks plus all the paint 
that I didn't use all on her piece, uh, and I got to use that, I was like, I, I want to do this. To just finish up, my goal is to live here, paint, and then take trips to like great locations for snowboarding and uh, skiing. And, but that'll and, also inspire creativity. Yeah, because I swear, a friend said to me, you know, Todd, athletics and art are so similar. All we're doing is creating and adjusting. Yeah. And that's, that's sports, that's art, that's life for me, because everything's always changing. We can't, uh, and I've been gifted to not be rigid in, in thinking or movement, and it's been helpful. You're living the American dream. You're Mine. doing what you're yes. doing. You're living your dream. You're, yes. you're doing what you're passionate about, yes. and you're getting paid for oh, it. Oh, come on, That's man. great. <laughs> I know. That's great. And you know what? This is the set down. This is the sad part. My dad, an amazing artist. Really? Dude, like puts me, he's a sculptor and a wood carver to the extreme. He instilled in me, you can't make a living at it. There's a reason why there's a term, starving artist. And I know he loves me. I know he has more experience than me. And so I'm a little guy looking at this guy going, well, it must be true. My second year at USC, I was floundering around in every department. I was going to be a geography major like Michael Jordan. That's what he was. Yeah. And I went, I was like, fuck, no, that's not it. And then... uh, Larry Smith, yeah. coach at USC. Coach at USC, who I we clashed. However, he changed the trajectory of my life in many ways. But the biggest way was he called me and he goes, "Todd, you're not going to class." And I was like, "Yeah, why?" I said, "I hate school. Just hate it. Always have." When I was in kindergarten, first grade, I can vividly remember there was only two times during school that I enjoyed and it was art when they passed out all the paints or it didn't matter what we were doing and the time just went over it was gone it was like they just passed it out and they said oh time to clean up and I was like what and it was the same thing with recess or PE yeah so I knew early that there was magic in that and so when he called me and he said well do he goes if you could do anything you wanted to do what would it be without hesitation it was like art and he goes, well, why aren't you doing art? And I was like, well, the old man's not too keen to the idea. Since, about many decades later, <laughs> I went to Arizona to see his uh, Larry Smith's wife, Cheryl, because Larry has passed on. Yes. And so cleaning up my wreckage of my history, I went um, to make an amends to her and her family and she told me the story of when he came home from that conversation. It was devastating to me and how sad he was that I was um, not doing really what I wanted to do. But yeah. when I walked out of that meeting with him, I went, well, shit, if the head man says do it, I'm going to do it. And it was the first time I've ever enjoyed, ever enjoyed school. And for one semester, it was my best school experience ever. Yeah, because you're you're working on projects that you actually enjoy. Yeah. You're going home and, oh, let me see how good I can make this, not let me get this over with. Right. They, because of my football schedule, I couldn't take the classes that were held in the mornings and early afternoons. So they actually gave me a key to the whole art department, which was dangerous. <laughs> and I'd go in there at night, spend 
all night uh, painting and sculpting and just playing. And then it was short-lived because then the following year is when I dropped out for the NFL. And I felt like it was uh, something that I had. It was, it was crumbling. The relationship with Coach Smith was crumbling. And my only re really regret in that whole time period was that I did uh, let the guys that I came in with, my, my group of guys down, because they, they felt like... Uh, they felt like they were abandoned, and yeah, they were. Yeah, it's definitely a brotherhood when you come in with a recruiting class. For sure. You guys are You've all experienced it. having yeah. a, a shared experience at the exact same time, and you want to spend these four years together. <coughs> right. Get great together. Yes. Become pros together yeah. and all that. So, it is what it is. Um, so, my day, the driving range, and I'm just working on my stroke, and it is so, there are so many parallels, which I just freaking love and especially being on the left side of the plate or the ball the stance the positioning feet connecting and balance with the ground is throwing because in, in actuality balance it's balances everything yeah and it was what my dad's whole like science and study of athleticism he spent his whole, whole entire life pretty much studying this stuff right and he got <laughs> He really got good at, he had an eye for, for, for training and finding weaknesses. And so that rubbed off on me. There was like no, <laughs> no avoiding it, even though there was years I tried, but it would always pull me back in. So being on the left side, like the parallels of throwing where the harder I try to throw the ball or the harder I try to hit the ball, the worse it is. It's counterintuitive. Yep. And I feel it so much more from the side that I'm used to spending so much time from. And so being able to be strong and uh, have a, a real foundation with my feet and lower body and then allow my upper body to be relaxed and like a whip is... Um, and, and the parallel of a stroke... Um, a shooting stroke in basketball because I love to shoot the basketball. <laughs> I'm a basketball junkie. I still play. I'm out here. I'm playing in LA tomorrow morning. Wow. I play a lot. Good stuff. I love it. If I could do anything for a living and get paid, it would that be, that. be that. Yeah. It is a great, great, great game. I The thing about it, see, with football, you need a buddy. Yep. Basketball, you don't need anybody. And you don't even need a basket. Yep. And I, you know, I could talk for an hour about or more about my basketball experience can it, you still shoot i bet you can shoot you know what it's like throwing i can still throw i can yeah. still shoot yeah. it, it, it takes a little bit of a warm-up because i'm 50 but uh that stuff is ingrained and it's muscle memory and so when the ball's in my hands it, it comes back but i spent thousands of hours thousands. and i had some great direction and it all started god it started with boys club basketball and then I got hooked up with Gary McKnight, who's a legend out here. He may be the winningest coach, for sure, in California, but maybe the country. Is he at Matter Day? Yes. Yeah. And I was on his youth team from 6th grade, 7th grade, and 8th grade, and then he took the job at Modern Day. And the rest is history. And that's why I went to Modern Day was because of him. Okay. And I just went back. I hadn't been back there. God. 
decades. And I took my kids just last week to the Nike Extravaganza. It's a little tournament that yeah, yeah. other schools from around the country. And this camp, it was a different campus. They built this thing. They have a lot of money. There. Oh, <laughs> they have my a lot of money. God, right? It uh, and he, if if not the best coach I've ever had, um, any sport, he would sit me down for not shooting, and it's what I needed just for confidence. And he was so brilliant at knowing and helping us understand what a team is. And we would go, we traveled all over Southern California, uh, Vegas, Arizona. We won 177 and seven in three years. And this is middle school? Yes, sixth, seventh, and eighth. Really important time. I wish we played that many games. That's a lot of games. It's a lot of games. We would even split our team up to play in two different tournaments. We were that good and win them both. But everybody knew their role. And if you stepped outside your role, you'd sit. It was pretty, he made it simple. We had, and everybody just played well together and we were skilled. It was fundamental basketball. If you didn't take a charge, you were sitting. Were you a big guy? No, I was a two man. Okay. Yeah, I was a shooting guard. Moved well enough that I wouldn't hurt us on defense. But I wasn't guarding their best guy. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, if a team would sit in the zone, I would kill them. So they'd have to man up, and then our postman would just. Destroy. I hate to date you, but uh, <laughs> wasn't this before the three point line too? <laughs> you know what? I woke up. I was a junior. Was it? Yes, I was a junior in high school. I had left modern day. My buddy called me and go, they're putting in the yep. three-point line. Like, what, 87? <laughs> yes, it was 87. And I went, well, I'm shooting from there anyway, yep. so I'm just going to get an extra point. Yep. And so I get to play Gary McKnight, my old coach, and Modern Day when I when I left school, and we played. And I was lights out, and I, would make, I was hitting threes. I ended up with over 30, beat Modern Day, and Gary was just with that pose, arms crossed on his belly, just shaking his head, going, you should be, um, you're my guy. Nope. <laughs> really fun, really. And what, it, what I got to experience way, you know, way before high school is playing against black guys. Back then in Orange County, you're not seeing too many brothers. Right. So we're going to inner city, Long Beach, LA, the Valley, all, all over and getting to experience kids that are some serious athletes, can run, can play. Now, why did we win? Because we were a better team. They had better athletes. Sure. And then I got to be on the line, one and one, down by one with seconds on the clock, and I got to experience all that, and that that was just priceless. There was always those suburban schools who struggled against the inner city schools. Yes. They just didn't have the right mentality yeah. or the toughness or whatever it was. But if you could play both games, yeah. those are the best teams. Right. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a junkie. <laughs> yeah. I'm an really? absolute junkie. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you told me about your typical day. I want to know. Oh, let me finish. So I leave the, and I don't, I don't do it long. It's all about repetition. I don't, I, I try to do this every day. And so I'll stop at the uh, driving range. I'll do some chipping. I just got the driver, so I'll hit some hit some drives, and then off to the studio. When I walk into my studio, I first I picked up uh, the sticks, and and I'm teaching myself how to play the drums. 
and the piano, the bass. I play guitar. Hold on, you taught yourself this recently or a long time ago? This is all new. And I've done research because my dad has late stages Alzheimer's. Yep. Dementia. I read about that, yeah. And the only thing that they've found that will actually arrest it is learning a new language or an instrument. And I'm an all or nothing guy. And so I said, well, you know, I love music, love music. What do you, what do you been listening to? What type of stuff are you playing? On the way over, I was listening to Frank Black and Frank Black was the founder of the Pixies. This is 90s stuff because yep. I'm old. Yeah, very old. <laughs> now you got, you're like, what are you, 50, 51? I'm 50. 50. Yeah. You got eight years on me. Music, it's art in a form that it's one of those things. You can't talk about it. You feel it. And it's like my art when I paint. I can't, you know, and I can try to talk about it, but I can't talk about it. So I've just um, immersed myself in... Uh, my studio that uh, I, I, I can feel in my head stimulation when have you ever tried to play the drums? No. <laughs> Holy shit. Talk about I can't chew gum when I'm playing because <laughs> it's there's a lot going on. You got feet and you got hands and I'm counting but I feel even in the brief time that I've been trying It looks exhausting. It's and it's going to be a hell of a release because it's physical. Yeah. It's more physical than in any of their instruments, obviously. But there's a rhythm in that. And I'll tell you what, that's one thing that it's hard to describe. But when I had rhythm with my shot, it was look out. And if I didn't, it was like look out because I might not hit anything. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. See, all this all this like technical the analytics of activity of sport sport specific stuff it's all the same now body angles can be a little bit different in stuff but for the most part there's this feeling that athletes have they might not even know it they might do it instinctually. Yeah, I think it's more instinctual. Yes, because if you think about it, then you're out of rhythm. But your dad was so innovative and broke it down to this science. Yes. And had you thinking about it yeah. consciously at a young right. age where most people were not. Right. Yeah. He. Yeah. Well beyond his. Well beyond like, his years. Like yeah. ridiculous the stuff he was doing yeah. back then. Some of it controversial and some of it just. Yeah. And that and the thing of genius. It, and it, and I, it's safe to say. He was genius in his field, and the thing is he treated it, uh, he was an artist who, that's what he wanted to pursue, was the science of athleticism, and can I improve it? You know, you just brought this full circle for me. I never looked at, I looked at your father and yourself as two different people, like this. Oh, we are. Old, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like this old stickler who yeah. was my way or the highway, yeah. you were this creative, yeah. uh, right-brained, yeah. right. abstract person where he was more concrete. But then I look at it now, the way you just spun it a little bit, and he was creative in his field. Oh. That's exactly, he was a creative just like yourself. He, I never really looked at it like that. Because that's the way he would come up with exercises. He would imagine them. He would dream. He would spend, he would think about this stuff and um, study 
Eastern German training techniques and Russian and stuff Rocky for a, four type yes, shit. For a for a base. And then he took it just like any artist would do, where I'm studying masters over their over the last two thousand years, and then I take it from there and this is this is my spin on it and that's what it, and that's what he did. He was an artist and he uh, molded men. And I, I I've seen over the years like revolutionary improvement on guys that would come in that would have never played. They got college scholarships. More women than men. He had a niche with uh, with girls coming in high school age, soccer, volleyball. Why they didn't have the egos? Yes, he, he loved working. working with girls because exactly egos. They worked hard, and from the gate, he's like they're just they're better to train. I always felt like girls are better shooters than men. Yeah. They, you know, ones that girls that play basketball compared yeah. to guys that play, because yeah. we rely more on athleticism yeah. and strength, where they rely on their skill. Cheryl Mil Miller was the only girl to ever beat me in a horse. Oh my god, <laughs> she may be the best of all yeah, time. Yeah, all time, right? Wow. Yeah, there's been some. Yeah. Some... Who, who else did your dad train? We know he trained um, Shea Cotton, a former yeah. guest of Keeping It a Hundo. Troy Palomalu. Troy was his guy. Who else did he have? Tyson. Chandler. Yeah, for years. That's the thing he affected in a positive way, tens and thousands over the years. And if they if they didn't make a living at it, they got to pay for their education. Sure. And what I know, there are thousands of of parents that uh, are so grateful because uh, their kids got to. Get an education, and the ones that didn't get their education paid for, they got the benefit of uh, putting in hard work, improving, and having self confidence, which is life changing in itself. Absolutely. And I got to see guys that were not, I would stamp them as non athletic, and then in a few years be all conference. <laughs> and it was, it was astonishing, really. True or false? Uh, some of the the innovative or controversial things that your dad was doing was like the stretching of your hamstrings at a young age. Like, is all this stuff true? The From working out told, with a medicine ball before you could walk? Yes, I do not remember. I was too young, but um, from my mom confirms it that that was definitely going on. What about um, you ran four miles I as remember, a four year old? I remember that. And like, what, eight minute mile? I read that somewhere. Yeah, distance. That's crazy. He went away from that as his pro training program developed um, the distance running. But at first, we ran, and I just uh, enjoyed the beach. And what a great! I could probably run the beach for miles when I was a kid too. Yes, because I loved being out there. Yes, and I just wanted to be with him. Yep. It was two miles down, two miles back. I was young. But I worked up to it. He he knew he wasn't just going to take me out there and run me into the ground. And why he did it, it wasn't so I could run long distances. It was for the mental toughness, because um, that was instilled. He'd always say, when you think you know, when you think you're done or you can't go anymore, you can go another fifty percent mm -hmm. of, of what you just did. Right. And always pushing the envelope. And it went from distance running to, towards the end to the rowing machine. 
And that rowing machine, holy criminy. I'd seen that thing break people because it was the first thing he'd have them do when they'd come in if somebody wanted to train with them. It didn't matter if they were all pro in the NFL, if they were in the NBA, or they were a freshman coming into high school. But that's when the challenge comes, the inner challenge of, what if I just ignore that? And see, that's why athletes are special because I don't know any other way, because it's just been my experience, to push through. There, it might be. There might be other avenues for... Well, PEDs is one way a lot of guys use. But it's still... Still need the mental aspect. Yeah, the mental... Because So here it is. I was fortunate enough to play at the highest level in our country at a sport that... Um, That's the highest level in the world. In the for, world. For we that call, sport. Right. We can call it in the world. And when you're at that level, the physicality or where everybody's at, it's a high level. And, and we're all pretty much... And it's a, it's a natural progression. So high school, you got one guy. He goes to the next level. College off that team, you might have one guy. And so when you get to the final, the final stages, so everybody's pretty equal. What separates the good from the great? And it's the mindset. And it's not news. Look at Kobe. Like that's, that's what that is. He, he wasn't even the best player on his team as an 11-year-old, 12-year-old, no. you know, and, and I was. I peaked at a young yeah. age, and yeah. by the time I got into high school, I was just kind of, yeah. you know, I had already peaked. But his mental... It's all mental, and that's why I love golf. Oh, it's, that is all mental. Yeah, I love every aspect of it, and I could talk another... I could talk your ear off about... Uh, and I'm a novice, but I can see, because of my experience in other sports, just how like next level it is because it's everything that I really enjoy in a sport except it's lacking the team because that's why I love team sports yeah. there's nothing freaking like it because my dad made me do track and I was like this sucks that's why I play in the pickup game I play in every Sunday is for the camaraderie yeah it's the same for it's eight awesome. nine years now it's in the same guys awesome. every Sunday it's like it's a combination of church and being on a team, yeah, you know, it's everything. Because uh -huh. it's, it's, for me, it's spiritual. And I went to take a leak downstairs at the hotel, and I told him I was going to be out in Palm Springs in a couple months for Coachella, and Rage Against the Machine happens to be headlining Coachella, and that's where this story came from, where Todd talks about meeting the bass player for Rage Against the Machine. We're in Malibu hanging out, and it pulls up Timmy, the bass player from Rage, and... He like freaks out. He's like, oh my God, can I get a selfie with you? And um, I was kind of tripping. And then I was thinking, well, fuck, okay, he's probably 10 years younger. And that's, that's what it is. That's yeah, what it is. <laughs> right? And I was like, this is cool. Because I was like, dude, I've never seen you guys play. And it's pro you're probably the only band that I have regret not seeing. Really? Yeah. Especially live, because I'm a live fanatic I'll go I just flew to Portland Lone Wolf to see a show who'd you see Head in the Heart they're, they're new yeah I don't know them from Seattle they're have you heard of them no they're fucking great so anyways um, and he goes oh if it was up to me we'd be playing consistently and he's like but I have a feeling we're, we'll play again and then I just got word that they're playing 
So I got a contact. <laughs> That's great. Yes. Yeah, That's great. Uh, I'll actually be there the second weekend. There's two weekends. Yes. Yeah. Be hit, nice to link hit, up if you're out yeah, here. Yeah, hit me up. I'll be here. So speaking of the age gap. Yeah. So the biggest influence you had on me was I actually stopped eating fast food because of you. And I still don't eat fast food. What? I haven't had fast food since I was like 12 or 11 or something. Good for you. McDonald's, Burger King, that stuff. I mean, I've had, you know, there's certain stuff I'll have. But yes. I don't go, I haven't had a Big no. Mac or no. any of that stuff no. since I was about 12. And that was because of that Sports Illustrated article. Really? Yeah. That's impressive. Did you happen to see the Sports Illustrated, the last Sports Illustrated? Yes, yeah, about a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, so they... they kind of debunked a lot of that yes and of course a kid growing up when i did and the boom of fast food Mm -hmm. i tried it there was just no admitting it at that time right because that was just not not part of the plan for my own (laughs) well-being you know so it was a it was a terrible it's super hard to explain living uh in the house, in, in the environment that I lived in. And then it was being exposed, but it was being talked about on a national level, and it wasn't entirely true. Now, was it like your mom would sneak you a Big Mac here or there, or a Coke or whatever? Yes. Or now you'd my be da- with friends and the Yeah. But you, if, was it fear? Fear. Like if your dad found out, yeah. then it'd be... Yeah, because he, uh, he was hyper-sensitive toward uh, anything I put in my body. He had a plan. Yeah. <laughs> um, Teething on the kidneys. Yeah. That, 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 that's, that's, that's one of the craziest parts <laughs> I've, I've, I've heard. And you, you don't remember that, but no. that is not No, but I believe it because what I do remember, that's not a stretch. But you had to keep up this yeah. charade it, nationally. It was terrible. Every article that was written after uh, the People magazine, which really launched it on a national level and anything that was written that's what it the lead was yeah i I was like they think i'm a freak and the the test tube quarterback the robo qb all that stuff and in actuality it wasn't to play quarterback it was just because that's what my dad knew was to be an athlete yeah he wasn't pushing being a pitcher being a shooting guard or a quarterback i was a receiver like my boy baron same age. I didn't want the spotlight. It's not my personality. I'd rather just do my you know, job, make a few catches, score a few touchdowns, come back to the huddle and not say a word. And playing flag football, same scenario as my son. Mine was the quarterback got hurt. We need a guy. And now he's doing it. He's playing. Uh, Unfortunately, playing quarterback, you need that mentality and to be, you want to be the guy. You want yeah. the spotlight. You want to be the guy. I always, there's this analogy that I've heard, and it's like when you look at a, a draft class or something and who do you want to pick, which guy, when they're in a room and we got to go on a road trip, which one's saying, I want the keys? You know? <laughs> yeah. Who do you want? Because Todd probably would have been, hey, I'll sit in the back and smoke a blunt. You know? That, <laughs> right. That's Todd probably. <laughs> You're, you're not, that's your nature, you know? And because now when I, when I first started uh, playing quarterback and flag football and then I played a little bit of 
Pop Warner, Junior All-American, just youth tackle football, then always played quarterback. But I like defense more. I, my first position was defensive end, rush end, and I loved it. Because I had techniques, because that's what my dad actually Tackling. played. Yeah. And so I was just technically way better than kids my age. Um, and then I got to play free safety, and then it was just yeah. like, what? This is the best thing ever. Well, I remember playing. I played quarterback growing up from started at eight years old, Pop Warner, yeah. and played quarterback all the way through. But I always wanted back then. You don't throw much, right? So you wanted I wanted to do other things. <laughs> yeah, I wanted. To, I'd say, can I play running back? Can I play? You can't play receiver because there's no quarterback who can get you the ball. Right. Like you said, Barron has no quarterback to throw him the ball now. Yeah. But my favorite player was always Lawrence Taylor, growing oh, up, yeah. and I wanted to hit people like him. I wanted to hit the quarterback, but. I was always a quarterback. And I grew up on LT. Then won the Giants, and this was documented in uh, the 30 for 30. Yeah, that was so long ago, I forget a lot of it. (laughs) It was a long time, and this game was so long ago. But the thing about it is when you play and you look across the line at LT, it's... Oh, you played against LT? Yes. Oh, my God. I think I remember that. Yeah, so... Raiders, Giants, like 1991. 91, 92. 92. Yeah. So, so they were really good then. They were good. It was the LT's second to last year, so yeah. he wasn't. Oh, it was LT. a year after they won the Super Bowl. No, two years after they yeah. won the Super Bowl. So he was kind of. He was yeah. on his way out. Yeah. But still, the best defender maybe ever yeah. on his way out is better than most. Sure. <laughs> and so when I called Marv, because our joke was through growing up, it's like he'd always downplay who I'm playing against or who the team's playing against. He goes, you're not playing the effing New York Giants. Finally, oh, I got right. to call him and say, guess who we're playing this yeah. week? The fucking New York Giants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, he, when you're practicing, look, it's not the New York yeah, Giants. Yeah, yeah, like, come on. It's not Lawrence Taylor no, coming at you. No, no. And so when I look across the line, and thank God I'm a lefty because LT was always lined up to a right-hander's backside. Yep. And so when I'm walking up to the line and I look to my left, there he is standing there, bigger than he looks on TV. <laughs> and dark behind that white cage. Yeah. And he's whispering to me every time he gets close. Yeah. And after I'll make a throw at him, then he'll walk back to his line of, side of the line of scrimmage and say, I'm getting closer. I'm going to get you. <laughs> and he never got me. No. No. But it was. Uh, it was an experience where I'll never forget, and we won, and it was one of those games where we had the ball, all we needed to do was two first downs, and game's over. This is in L.A.? This is in L.A. I think I remember. It was like a warm day. Yeah, so. and my roommate, uh, Andrew Glover, who we call Poncho, was my tight end, and he was a two-sport guy at Grambling mm-hmm. uh, Center, 6'7", tight end. It was an unfair advantage. I remember him. Because I always said, you take a power forward, and he'd be an all-pro tight end. And look what they're doing all over the league now. Yes. The tight end position is not what it used to be, and it's just, you know, it's it's smart. You know, put him out, and it's a, it's a mismatch. There's nobody really that one-on-one cover a guy that has skills, body and people, and positioning Ball people. skills. Yeah. Body and skills. And hands. There's no basketball player with bad hands. Yeah. None. You can catch. You can make one-handed catches. So I like to talk shit a little bit. Pepper Johnson was one their inside, and he was a big inside linebacker, like 260. Yeah, he was. 
And I'd say, I'm going to my boy again, right here. And I would be pointing at Poncho. And you can't stop it. And we did that consecutively for two first downs and uh, won the game. That was, that was a highlight. Because all really, all I wanted to do, and I knew it at a young age, um, I wanted to play with the best guys. Play against the best guys and play with the best guys. It was a long journey to get to the NFL. It was a short experience, but it was an amazing experience because I got to play with uh, Hall of Famers. Marcus, oh, your team was loaded. Loaded. You got, what, Marcus Allen, Roger Craig, Tim Eric, Brown. Eric Dickerson. Dickerson was uh -huh. there. Howie. Howie Long. Such a stud. Ronnie Lott. Ronnie Lott. It was uh, super cool. Did you have relationships with these guys? Uh, did any of them try to mentor you when you were going through your problems? Yeah. Marcus was, because we had the SC connection. The SC connection. Yeah, so Ronnie, Marcus were super, were super influential. I couldn't be reached, but they made a, a serious effort. Because the best guys I played with were also the best people. Yeah. And it's, uh, the coach was all up in my... In you played for Art Shell? I did. Yeah. Art was great. Um, I had a great quarterback coach, Mike White, who's a yeah. disciple of uh, Walsh, one of the greatest minds of the game. Yeah. And uh, they said, you got to carry out your fate, man, after you hand it off. And I was like, in, in one series, I'd hand it to Marcus, then I'd hand it to Roger, and then I'd hand it to Eric. <laughs> and I'm like, I got the best seat in the house. <laughs> Without a doubt. You know, we love to compare as humans like who's the great why do we need to say that and and I, even though i just said marcus is the greatest i put but they were all great yeah and, and they're all in their own style because it all it's just care like running backs for example that's just carrying a football and they're all effective extremely but they do it in their own way and uh barry Sanders was from my era, yeah. and of course he's one of the greatest. Do we need to say who is the greatest? Because you can't. It's a. It's like a. It's not even worth arguing. It's uh, thinking back at it. I played in the backyard, and I would pretend I'd be throwing the ball lefty. Yeah. Trying to be like Tom Marinovich. No, I'm a right. Oh, you were throwing. <laughs> yeah, I, I would try to do everything. Playing basketball, I'm I, I'm doing every. I'm shooting like Kareem, uh -huh. and I'm shooting. You know, I'm. That's yeah. what I'm doing. Yes. Roger Craig with the high, high knees, knees, and yeah. Dixon running straight up. Straight up. up. <laughs> you know, like it's it's an art form. Right. They all ran different. Barry with the the cuts and staying low. God, they were pretty. Eric would. He was, when he was with the Rams, are you kidding me? Oh my God. And my dad was coaching the Rams at the time. So okay. I got to, uh, see, I got to experience a lot of cool stuff. And uh, The Jerry Curl and the, the oh, goggles. Oh, God, come on. He just looks sweet in his uni. Yeah. Uh, oh, the toilet bowl? <laughs> yes. So sweet. And his style was even sweeter than how he wore his uni. But I was throwing in, in practice like off-season stuff, when guys are just wearing their grays, you know, yeah. uh, t-shirts and shorts, throwing to Rams, and I, I, you know, I was like 12. And I always had a feeling that, uh, it, well, it didn't seem like such a stretch or a dream to do that, because I was doing it at 12, and I knew I needed time, but I knew it was gonna happen eventually, and I just, uh, 
because when you're growing up and you're around family and you're old man, we we get caught up. I didn't really fucking know. Is this what I want to do? It was like a runaway train where I guess it is. Yeah, as a kid, what you know? did you want to do? Like you were you were forced into this. You yeah, know. I was born into it. Yeah, I mean, I know you yeah. loved football. I did. But you think you still would have played football? I mean, you would have played football. I would have played. Would, you, would, would football have been your life? Probably not. Because when you live where I lived, uh, there's just so many more. There's a lot of decisions, a lot of different options. Um, because uh, it just wasn't an option because of, because of Marv. There, there was just so... When I got old enough to where I was started, like, is, is this what I want to do? It was too late. I felt like it was too late. I was already on my way to USC, and that was liberating for any 18-year-old when you get to leave the house, no matter what your folks are like. It's exciting. Oh, believe me. <laughs> I, uh, when I got away, I, I got thrown out of my first school, so... I get it. You know, yeah. I, I, that time away and, you know, the, the transitions you're going through at that age mentally and I was dealing with all types of stuff. Yeah. I couldn't handle it. I was still too immature. And you've called him Marv a few times. You, do you refer to him as Marv these days? I, you used to call him Buzzy? Buzzy, yes. You guys call would Buzzy. call each other Buzzy. Buzzy, yeah. What's, what's Buzzy come from? God, Buzzy is a nickname. Buzzy, or my dad, always had nicknames for uh, everybody, which is classic. And I was never taught. So your real name was Marv for at birth. At birth, my mom came to her senses when we, she got me home and said, "Oh my God, Marvin Todd Marinovich, no, we'll just flip it." So I'm Todd Marvin. Let me tell you a funny story about the name Marv. Yes. All right. How many white guys do you know named Marv? Marv Albert. <laughs> so there you go. So One. The, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Lawrence Taylor, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you remember that story. No, he he was arrested for um, he was seen with like a a, a trans uh huh who female. else he was no Marvel. Oh yes, I do. And remember they said story. that he or she looked like Lawrence Taylor, <laughs> and Marv had uh, allegedly bit her on the back, back or something. Right. I remember. Okay, that. so I have yeah. a good friend. Actually, he's one of the guys I used to pretend to be all these guys in the backyard with. Grew yeah. up. With we call him Mav. That's his nickname. His name's Jason. His name to this day is, is Mav, Mav because we're just like, oh, he's a widow, like Mav Albert. So we just call him Mav. <laughs> but, but he's, he's not. He's not. He's yeah, a great guy. Right. But the point is, is that Classic. that's that's what the name Mav means to us. That's it's like funny. you just if you're a white dude named Mav, come on, the, yeah, you're a clown. So I started calling. My dad, Marv, young, because everybody that came to the house, because guys were coming, players are, were coming as early as I can remember, because you know he he'd been coaching ever since when I started recognizing the world around me. There was big black men and white men coming to the house, and they were just larger than life, and they were all Marv, Marv, and I just followed suit. And so about eight, I started calling him Marv. And then um, as our journey continued, it flipped to Buzzy. Um, and, and it was Buzzy Bavozo, it was the full, the full name. And 
he called me that, and I, I still call him that. And, and when I go see him, even though he he cannot verbalize who I am, I know there's a place in there, and this is trippy. I don't wish anybody um, having a loved one suffer from Alzheimer's or yeah. dementia. Um, but there's a light inside, even though the the mind is gone. Yeah, the spirit is lifted when he hears me walking and buzzy. <laughs> he still recognizes. Yeah. It. He can't say, oh, that's my boy. But you know there's something. You see it yeah. in his eye or something. Yeah. Yeah. And he loves my music. And, and what a trip. I, uh, I had so much. Uh, self-doubt is the most crippling emotion. And, uh, but it comes from the brain. Mm -hmm. It just is a debilitating fear that from my experience I still I don't struggle with it but I recognize it and I try to dismiss it because it is uh, really of no positive use <laughs> and especially for an artist I'm at a point where I can create whether it be through songs um, or painting or sculpting and be free of that but it still creeps in don't get me wrong and it did as an athlete and i think all athletes go through this especially Always. as they progress in levels from high school college to whatever look at how you play any sport when you're confident oh. and then look at the guy they say the best quarterbacks are the guys who can move on to the next play quick yeah and not keep the past well, yeah, yeah. Yep. And it, I, I'm like that big time. You know, you make a shot and hoop. You make your first shot, you have a good day. Right. You miss the first three or four. Right. You start getting hesitant. Right. And still like that in pickup ball, you know? True. It's, it's so, uh, like we said, it it's really, mental. it's mental. I had a good personality for the quarterback position in a sense that I could forget the bad. Yeah. And... That quality hasn't suited me so well in um, my recovery from substance abuse because I need to remember that trait of forgetting about throwing it to the opposing team and it going for six is a great attribute when you're a quarterback. But when you're trying to uh, live drug and alcohol free, it's important to remember exactly where this decision is going to take you. And so um, there's so many parallels to art, to, to my life today in recovery, to athletics. It is, they parallel and it's helped me in my life when I've, when I can look back at all these valuable experiences through sports and apply them to my life. Because where I was heading for trouble is when I walked away from a game that I did for so long and didn't bring any of it with me. I completely turned my back on it. And the first thing was my, my physical nature of not training it and just completely not wanting to do anything um, but all the with, discipline and everything you learned from it, you left in the past too. Everything. Yeah. And that is tragic. 
because there is just gold in it. And now, through a lot of work and um, identifying, oh, this works. And I got to, oh my God, this is just a gem. Yeah, people are worried about uh, all the CTE stuff and starting their kids at a young age and all that. And then there's the pros and cons of playing football. I got so much out of football. I mean, sure, I got injuries and I probably have too many head injuries and knee surgeries and all type of stuff. But the discipline and the camaraderie and the hard work and everything I learned from football was like lightweight military training. You know, stuff you, whatever you learn going to war, that's what we learned in football. And I I wouldn't be who I am today without that. My work ethic or... Like today, we walked in here, right? There's this the guy that was working for the hotel. Yeah. He said a name that I have not heard in 30 years. Yeah. And when he said it, boom, I know him. And why? Because we bonded in a way that it affected me emotionally and in my nervous system that I don't forget. That shit is in my bones. And so, this is funny. You know how many people in the last 30 years that I've met that say they played with me? I don't forget who I played with. Like you just saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why they do that, I don't know. Oh, you're saying you've met people that say it, but you know you didn't play with them? Yeah, I don't. (laughs) Bro, bro. And it will be like second party. Like, oh, I'm with a guy that played. And I go, well, what's you know, what's his name and what year? Just so I can, because I played yeah. on a lot of teams and for a long time. You know every name or you know every face or both? Like Both. You, you, okay. I know, and from, now I can't go as far back. Well, some of them. I can pretty Pee-wee, much do all. You know? Yeah. But if you played in high school with me and you played it with the Trojans with me, uh, and yeah. most definitely if you played with Rick. But I don't know where this comes from, um, ego or... I need to be uh, noticed or I just want to be a part of, which are all human. Um, but I don't forget who uh, who I went to battle with. And you said it. Yeah. And how, how Marv put it to me early on that changed my perception. Two things. You're a gladiator. You're, you're going into this arena and you're going to lay it out on the line. You're going to give it all and leave nothing. You get to walk home or get on the bus. Now, in ancient times, there was only one guy leaving. Can you wrap your head around that? And I was like, holy shit. I get to leave this arena. So it's all good. Yeah. I, then the fear went away. And his other one was, there were like PBS shows back in the day where there would be these um, prodigies, either violinists or pianists playing the piano or uh, gymnasts, swimmers that spent like serious hours a day. Like we're talking more than six hours a day. So when I, when he laid it out like that, he goes, "So, so the time you're spending is a fraction of what real Olympic athletes are training around the world. So don't think you're really doing much. <laughs> you're Jeez. doing much. Oh, man. Uh-huh. He, he gave you the okie doke there. He did. Yeah. 
You're like, oh, I'm not. As long as there was a carrot at the end, and that was always, you get your workout done, you can go to the beach. Yeah. So we talked about your typical day. Tell me about your typical day 15 years ago, 10 oh. years ago. I have read stuff, but like, brutal. is it as bad as it seemed, or was it worse than I've, I've read? Hard to say. Um, it was horrendous. Uh, the adjective is horrific. Um, it's sad it's really sad, sad man because like you know i looked up to you and yeah you're a portrait of health yes and uh and i i got to a place where um there was not there was nothing human about my day-to-day -day or existence it it was there was one thing on my mind and that was to uh, anesthetize any resemblance of an emotion if I, I just didn't come, I did not want to feel, I didn't, there was so much guilt, remorse, shame, all these heavy, heavy negative emotions that fueled uh, my addiction. And a guy that I look up to because his humor and his journey is uh, Russell Brand. Yeah. And he's, he pinpointed it that marijuana is not a main is not the gate a gateway drug which we hear i heard it mm -hmm. when i was starting to smoke pot when the name marijuanovich came to the yeah. surface yeah. and then he goes on alcohol is not a gateway drug caffeine nicotine those are not gateway drugs trauma trauma and i thought about it and trauma there's a lot of trauma there's abuse trauma sexual physical emotional mm -hmm. all this stuff and I've thought about my journey through recovery, and it's dead on. I mean, it's the percentage of people that are struggling with addiction from substances, alcohol, you name it. There's trauma there. And it, it was the turning point for me because I, here was my gig, and, and it's, it, it takes what it takes. And it's not like that I've, I've arrived. It's more that, wow, I survived. Yeah, I made, I made it out. <laughs> yes. And what it was, was every time I got a taste of recovery, I so enjoyed it. I was like, wow, I love this new life of being able to... Um, connect with people because really what I found it to be what I was seeking my entire uh, life from being 14 years old is a connection with people and I just didn't know how to connect and the easiest way what was going on at that time after my first high school football game playing at the with the varsity in a huge junior college crowd yep. of like 15,000 people. I'm pretty much an eighth grader. You're a freshman. Uh, wait, you were like not even started high school. No, yet, we like have a week before. Yes, exactly. You your first game and you're a true freshman. Yes. First that, freshman in Orange County history to start do that. as a quarterback yeah. or as a freshman. In yeah, the and that surpasses any feeling of being a freshman at SC, being a rookie with the red. Nothing compares to that. You're jump. a little kid. Yeah. You're a little kid. And after the game, I go to Marv. I was like, the guys are going out. Can I go? And he's like, yeah. He just wanted me to be a part of the boys. And yeah. what do we do? 
We drink beer. We chase girls. And so what, why I, I come to that is all I was seeking was a connection. Yep. I did not know. I was so terrifyingly, like my sister called me, shy as a kid. So you had social anxieties. Yeah, I was diagnosed with social anxiety. And I think it's the furthest really thing from the truth. It was brought on by trauma. That trauma being the way you were raised? Yeah. Yeah. The, the abuse. The abuse that involved on. Yeah. with that. Um, Do you think that you were so used to destructive behavior that you continue to inflict destruction on yourself? Is that part of the abuse? It's the part drug of abuse? It. It's part of it. Because it, it, they say um, they, um, meaning therapists and whatnot, when you get comfortable in a situation, not necessarily happy, but you're comfortable with trauma or dysfunction, you always go back to that. People who are in dysfunctional relationships or grow up in a Aren't home even conscious in a of it. Right, and yes. you seek it out yes. unconsciously. Right. I wasn't aware of it, but I, I was... <laughs> I was recreating what I grew up in right. without even that environment existing. I was just recreating wherever I was. Every authority figure that our paths crossed was Marv. From Larry Smith, my yeah. coach at USC, to Al Davis, to the list goes on and on and on and on until you stub your toe so many times, you got to start looking. It's not my toe. I got to... I really have to do some self-reflection and self-analysis and really seek to change. So when I would get a taste of sobriety, I would go back. I have been for decades of getting that relief. Even though that relief was destroying my life, I still would get moments of relief. And so every recovery attempt would get a little bit longer and then when I would make a bad decision, that time out would get a little shorter. And then finally, because this is really this, tra this trauma linked to addiction is relatively new. It makes... Brene Brown talks about yes, it. Yes, yeah. it makes complete sense. And I did a treatment that I can't tell you how it works. It's called EMDR. Have you heard about it? No, I don't know that. What's EMDR stand It stands for? for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. I did hear about this. Yeah. Okay. And so briefly to describe the experience, all I'm doing is sitting. Therapist is in front of me. I have my eyes closed. All I need to do is bring a memory of the most painful traumatic experience. I got a few of them. Yep. So I just grab one and I'm holding on to it in my mind. And my palms are up and I feel a tapping from her fingers. It's actually his fingers on the palms of my hand. When is this? How long ago? Uh, gosh, over a year now. Okay. Now I had heard about this type of treatment for at least five years. And I would ask people similar to me. They were like, I, I can't explain it. But something has happened, and it's changed their life. Going in, know that your things are going to come up, and memories are going to come up that you totally forgot about. And so, in my head, I was there. Brought up fear. I was like, "Oh, there's going to be more of this trauma that I that I stuffed or buried yep. that I had forgotten." It was the complete opposite. So, because of my trauma was so intense, it was blocking all these 
amazing memories. Okay. So the first one, it was like, so my eyes are closed. I start with this horrendous, horrific uh, experience, and then it changes. Do you mind giving the vague description of what the horrendous experience was? I just want to know what triggered the good stuff. It was always my, most of my trauma throughout my early, it started when I started playing team sports and it wasn't, foot, it was just all the sports. It, yeah. There were, and it was always after games. The bas- car rides? Car rides. Oh my I was, God. I remember those. There was nowhere to go. The criticism. Uh, and uh, over and over and the more the, he would lecture, the, the more rage he would get. So it, start, it started with one of those. When he told me to get out of the car and run, I was fucking stoked and ran from Huntington Beach to Newport Beach, which, which is like 10 miles. And he's stopping, and I can see the old Volkswagen stopping in every other street to make sure I'm running. But then it flips, and it's like watching an old movie of on the beach, and he had this big laugh. And he roars back, he's laughing on the beach, and then I have my arms around his neck, like he's wearing me like a cape, going through waves. And I only had two treatments. And I was like, I, I wanted you, I just wanna keep having them, because yeah, all yeah. these memories, I, the second one I went in, I get out of the car from the same different uh, scene, but they're, they're all similar. And I run into my house, or my bedroom at the time, and I, and I see all these posters that I haven't thought about for decades. Your Sports Illustrated stuff was on my wall as a kid. It's crazy, right? That is crazy. Dr. J's like leap from the free throw line. Farrah Fawcett was on the wall, that's how old I I read, didn't you put up Elway instead of uh, a poster of Elway instead of like Farrah Fawcett? Or you had some chick on the wall that you took down. And then that changed, so I was into Christy Brinkley because she was like- That's who it was, it was Christy Brinkley. Like SI girl. Yeah. Al McPherson. Yes, Al. <laughs> but then, so I'm crying in, in my mind's eye, head in the pillow. And see, during those years, I, I thought I was alone. And my sister's room back, our, we had a common wall. And so she heard it and she would come in and comfort me. Yeah. And I didn't remember any of this. She would come in and cuddle me at night, saying it's going to be okay. And then my mom, she leaves, my mom comes in and my mom's got a Tupperware in her hands full of sweets, <laughs> like brownies and cupcakes. And she's like tiptoeing going, cause she's actually, she's jeopardizing her life with these sweets <laughs> creeping down the hall and into my room and telling me that she loves me and then just hide them under the bed. Was your sister allowed to eat that stuff? No. Nobody was supposed nobody, to eat Nobody, nobody in the house. Okay. That treatment. Non-evasive. It did open up some dreams after that were, that were bizarre, but that's par for the course. Who, do, who has a, Every night. a sane dream? <laughs> you know, some of them are just fucking out there, but they were magnified after this treatment. But what I got from it, it changed my relationship with my mom, my sister, and uh, my life. When you went into this, you had heard about this treatment. Yes. What made you more open this time to the process. You've been to therapy, you've been to jail, you've been to rehab, you've been to, I mean, everywhere you could go to rehabilitate. And this time, what what caught this time around? Well, after every attempt and uh, 
after science and, and experts started seeing a link between trauma and addiction, I was willing to do try anything because uh, it was so frustrating to be all in with this new way of life and still go back. It was um, crushing. It wasn't like, oh fuck, I hate my life. I'm gonna go fuck it up even more. It was, I really, this is the way. I have found the way I've been given the recipe, which is truly trying to live by spiritual principles, which are ideals, and I fall short on a daily basis. But if I'm not shooting for something like I did, I had goals. And these goals were set by Marv, but I still had goals. And without these goals, I would have never accomplished anything. And so in my life today, I have these ideals that have been around as long as man, and they come from great religions all over the world, and I'm not religious, but I find that when I challenge my, because it's challenging and I like a challenge, that's just in my nature, that if I challenge myself to try to the best of my ability, just, just for today, my life really is amazing. The thing is, it's not a void of pain. <laughs> that's like, that's part of it. You learn to live with that. Yes. And make it part of yes. your and, story. Because you know what? There, people say, I got to learn to deal with emotions. I don't know if it's so much dealing. I think it's just feeling them. Yes. I feel them. And like the enjoyable emotions, they don't last. For so long, I, like I, I said earlier, that I was so afraid to feel. And I had been trying to cover it up for so long, I didn't even know what I was running from. Because now, today... It's the human experience. And I, was, and I was missing the whole boat for so long that that's why I'm just so grateful that I survived. Because a lot of people, bro, aren't. I'm sure you lost a lot of friends oh. along that journey doing oh. the way you were living. Yes. It, it's a consequence. And when I heard that word, I would cringe a consequence. And now, because of trying to live, live right or... Um, live in line with principles consequences come every day and they're they're pretty enjoyable <laughs> it, it's changing my future but I'm not planning in the future other than like I said I want to snowboard and I want to surf beautiful places and how do I get that by just doing this right here right now it's so fucking cliche and I hated to hear about it you know one day at a time just for today, and in actuality, when I fully grasped that mindset, it did change everything. Because I'll catch myself, I not only don't just live for today, I live today like, this is it. Because in actuality, we don't know if tomorrow it will ever come. So I'm on a hike with a group of friends, and there's this waterfall this is here in the desert there's like oasises there's all kinds of water there's, there's waterfalls under, out here yeah there's an underground river that runs throughout this whole coachella valley there's more water here than anywhere in wow. california and so we're hiking this waterfall and i'm and i hear a friend i go you know what i want to no i'll get in that tomorrow i'll get in that next time and yeah. i heard myself say yeah, next yeah, time yeah. i was taking my shit off and in that thing because there are no next times. 
And also on that same vein, while I'm out here, I really want to see Joshua Tree. I've never oh. been. This is my first time in Palm Springs. Wow. And I want to see the Salton Sea. Yes. Have you done both of those? You've definitely done Joshua Tree. I have, and I was just, because I said I love, live music is my, my bread and butter for entertainment. And I'm trying to seek balance. And that's like the art of living, balance. And so like me time is going to see people perform musically and there is a gem on the way to Joshua Tree it's called Pappy and Harriet's oh my god it's a it's a live music yeah it's venue. like a bar and it was rated in Rolling Stone as one of the top intimate venues in our in our country and I went for the very first time last weekend and it's dude I walked out of there I couldn't even stay for the whole show because I'm getting old and if I don't get a nap I'm done <laughs> <laughs> and I walk out dude you don't even have to look up to see the stars. They're on the horizon. Wow. Because it's from here, you're going up towards yeah. that mountain. Yeah. And the, going up there for the stars alone, but then you get a little music on top of it. It was like a win-win. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, this, this place is a gold mine. And for years, I'm like, what the fuck are people doing out in the desert? Yeah. I didn't know. And I'm judging before I experience it. Because I'm in love with the ocean. <laughs> yeah, I, I always live on the ocean. Yeah. I need the ocean. Yeah, I do too. But having a little mix is fuck, the spice of life. So you never really broke down the what a day would be like for you back 15 years ago. I'd oh, really like to know. Like you yeah. wake up and you were, I know you were skateboarding a lot. Well, I had no home. And okay, that, that that's something that was never said in any articles I read, but yeah. it seemed like the life of a homeless person. Yeah, I was homeless, um, but always had a roof. I wasn't crashing with friends, crashing yeah, with chicks, cra crashing. Yeah, dude, I was a professional couch surfer. Yeah, um, concrete surfing and surfing concrete during the day. Um, I suffered more injuries learning. In my skateboarding, oh man, I was addicted to that. And you I, took up skateboarding at like 30 or later, yeah, 35. Oh, yes, I don't, crazy. I don't suggest that. I've broken a hip, ribs. Oh my god! Um, but it's that feeling. It's the feeling that I get surfing or snowboarding. Balance. And it's weight. It's kind of weightless, and it's hard to describe. What I've noticed, there's magic when. And the same with playing football that because because there's violence and like with skateboarding what i really got into was bombing a big hill but everything goes away blacktop is unforgiving as fuck like the old astroturf was pretty unforgiving but nothing <laughs> compared i mean you're losing lots of skin which i don't i don't do it anymore because the consequences of, are painful, and uh, I get it other ways. Yeah. It seems like it might have been some type of self-destructive behavior. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Seriously, yeah. almost like cutting yeah. or something. You know, kind of, like, kind of. But cut, if I, I've never done it. it but comes if you're with cutting. Trauma. You're knowing that that's going to happen. There's always you can make it. In my head, I'm making on every attempt. I'm thinking going in. Oh, I got this. Which obviously you don't. What type of reaction were you getting from the public just from people in general uh... Dude, the worst one this this just freaking came to mind yesterday so i enjoy 
people. That's why I do this. Yeah, you, know? I, you got the best job. I thought I had the best job, but I would love, you know, I, I love talking to people. You and can do this. What a, what a crazy concept when for years I was afraid of people. What are they saying? What are they thinking? There was a time that made my, like, my most inner me, like, because I'm not what I do. There's a, there's a place in me, and I'm not what I think. I am behind that because I can watch thoughts. So if I'm watching thoughts, I'm not those thoughts. And if I'm watching you, I'm definitely, there's separation. I'm not you. So deep in that, I was wounded to the core when a mother and her kids, she sheltered and protected him when I was walking by. Because I did not, I couldn't see me, and I definitely wasn't looking at any fucking mirrors in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And I just went, holy shit. Yeah, that's that's rough. As devastating as it was, it wasn't like, oh, now I'm going to do the right about face and walk the line. No, it took years. But it came to mind just fucking yesterday that now people are trusting me with their kids. And that's the way it should be when I'm my true who who. Todd really is. But even when you were a mess, you weren't violent. No. Right? You weren't no. that type of person. No. But I, there was so much anger and full next level of anger, wrath, yeah. that I was capable of because of all the pain that I was in. I see people, my perception has changed, and I see people in a way that uh, I have empathy for everybody. And, and everybody, because, and it's only because of my experience. And so I have really embraced every one of them that when I had the key to L.A., there was a time. Yes. <laughs> I believe President Reagan called you. <laughs> yes, in, in college. <laughs> what, after you won the Rose Bowl? Or? It, was, it was just a, a Pac-10 game up at Washington State, and he was in the hospital recovering. And he was a sports guy. He said it was the best performance he'd ever seen. Unbelievable. So going from our societies, they would describe it as, oh, he's made it to the top, successful. Um, to that, to the scene I described of people or uh, parents yeah, being scared of trying to protect their kids because here he comes, whoever he is, and a lot in between. Yeah, and what about people who recognize you and just... You know, was there disgust? Was there, that's what I mean. Were you getting yes. disgust? Were you getting uh-huh. empathy? Some, and I got all. But you know what? When I look back, there are so many encouraging and prayers, bro. I'll tell you what. There's power in prayer that I I can't even fathom because people have been praying for me and my journey because they, you know, for some reason. Uh, cared you know why because nobody at least people that i knew ever looked at it as a situation as todd had it all but he he blew his opportunity i never really heard that it was more like he didn't have a chance there's the the dichotomy of the parent who's absent yeah the parent who's too too much much, right and it's like you got the extreme extreme on one side yes you know and I, i have a lot of friends who didn't have a father around yeah and they said they'd rather have Had. no father. And I, I would have been a mess without a father. I needed that. I, I would have been uh, m- more of a troublemaker than I was. 
without a father around. My dad wasn't anywhere near mob's level, but no, uh, he was he are. was tough though. Yeah, you know? fathers and that's father son relationship. I think we finally have it like perfected now, but it took a long time. You and your dad. Yeah, yeah, good. It took a long time. Good. And I get to be a dad, and it's what I've always wanted to be. Because of my childhood, I... I want that so bad myself. Yeah, you'll get it. It'll come. And it is the best experience. Throughout all my experiences, being a dad is... Do you find yourself having to pull back from being too overbearing? Or do you find it no. natural to be... I have to... Caring and sensitive and empathetic... I could not, it is, it is the most challenging thing I've ever experienced. It's brought me, my kids, I played a part in bringing them here into this world. So I gave them, you could say life, and they saved my life. I knew instinctually and intuitively, I cannot be the dad that I don't wanna be and live two lives. And I tried it and failed miserably. And so the game changer in my life was them. And then I wish I could say on their, on my daughter's birth, I did the right about face and I, and I couldn't. And that was the first time that I seriously gave everything to recovery and failed. And it was a fucking eye-opener going, I want this with all of me and still fail. Your kids are at Barron's 10, 11? 10. And Coco? 8. 8, okay. And last year, because what I struggled with was uh, age appropriateness. What, how much do I share with them? Yeah. Um, and I took them to... Uh, Betty Ford, an amazing program, a children's program. And have you stayed there before? At Betty Ford? That was one of, that was my first treatment center that the Raiders sent me to. Okay. Um, in 1991. And But was that when you got caught with the alcohol that wasn't even I mean you got the alcohol yeah. blood test that wasn't even yours. No, an alcohol someone well, else's piss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but needed I mean I needed to be there. Right, but did you substance. take that opportunity serious hell no right i didn't take no. my first opportunity no i didn't take my first therapy serious eight treatment centers serious eight uh, it was i've lost track i don't count attempts only the ones that after my kids were born because that's when I, I i fully was giving myself i was like i want to be i need to be um and still failed. You fully understood it on every level. Yes. That you needed to be this. Yes. For, there these, was, yes. for these children, not even for yourself. Yeah, exactly. And prior to taking them to Betty Ford for this uh, children's program, which was a four-day program, got completely honest because there was always a buffer of where Dada is going. When I was in jail, treatment, it was data school. At the young, young ages, that was okay. But now, 8 and 10, they are completely in the know. Because of complete transparency with them, it is the best thing I believe a parent can do instead of protect, 
protecting, thinking that they're protecting their kids from their humanness. And when they see me fail or uh, fall, and one of the only things I've done right is I keep trying. <laughs> that's it. And that's all I can ask of me. Do you feel like your efforts since your kids were born, those efforts were honest? Yes. Earnest? Yes. Where in the past they weren't so... No, I, w I was tr always trying to appease either yeah. uh, the job, the wife, the courts, the job. trying to avoid prison, yeah. the family, all that. that it's never going to work. Yeah. And so um, from my experience, I've learned in... I'll tell you what, what's amazing, I, I pray every day, put me, when I say God, it, it's just, uh, I, I love all different, um, and they're just boxes, and how can you put God in a box? Religions. Yeah, yeah it, it, I love religious. like spirit of the universe, I love this life force because I feel it, it's like momentum. You go to you go to a game in in a, in a stadium. You can't see momentum, momentum is but so you real. feel that shit, right? Like, Uncle oh Mom. shit! Yep. In the Super Bowl, you felt it. Oh, it was yeah. like, oh shit! Yep. Here come the Chiefs. So, when I pray to this this life force, it's put me in the path where I can be of maximum service. I know that this being or or this. A spirit exists because when I am in my day-to-day -day when I leave here my days are full of being of service and how do I know because I'm made we're, we're all made this way that when I'm out of self when I'm stopped thinking about me and I'm trying to be of service to some other human being I feel good it's like yeah, it's selfish in a way it, but it's, it's not. It's the most unselfish, yeah, selfish the most, thing. Yeah. So it's what I love more than anything are win-wins. So that's the biggest win-win because at the pinnacle uh, of what I thought I wanted to do and where I was, and I was quarterback for a team that I've always wanted to play for in a city where I played college football, I was miserable. Like, hated me. To what I feel now, it's you can't even put a freaking price tag on it. And because of what I went through, I can really, truly appreciate just uh, sitting here, having an open, honest conversation. I could do this shit all day long. Do you care what people think of you? Not, not, not just like your dad or your sister or your mom, but just in general, do you care what people think of you? What people think of me is none of my business. Wow, yeah. And because I've... But um, I think for a long time you did care. Oh! You know, that's, I was hypersensitive yeah. to that when it's truly, it's none of my fucking business. And um, the most liberating experience of being human is honesty. And I was, from a young age... I was holding on to lies and little ones, and I didn't realize that these, these, these little like little lies uh, become habit, and they chip away at a place of you that you can't see, and then through repetition, they manifest. And today, 
It's like a natural law. The more I practice this openness and transparency and vulnerability, there's something inside that isn't chipped away at that actually gets bigger or brighter. And I connect with people on the street that I don't fucking know. And I can bring more light to what they have. And it could just be with like a smile, a hello, or how you doing. It is, I mean, it's hard to describe. You've been all the way down and you've been all the way up. Yeah. You've seen the, the depths of hell oh. and the mountaintop, you know? You, like you said, you were king of the city for a period of time. <laughs> right. So you can empathize, but you can also relate. I can relatable. relate. Everybody is relatable to you. Yes. Everybody falls in the middle of Every where you've been. Bro, I tell you what, it's, uh, and what a gift being able to see no separation in anybody because that's a veil that is um, an illusion that because I drive this or because I live there or because I have this color skin, mm -hmm. those are just, that is just all an illusion. Mm -hmm. Does addiction run in your family? Yes. Because the reason I say that trauma is definitely a root cause, as you said, you could probably trace that back, you know, a 90 something percent of addicts. Um, but at the same time, genetics play a part. Yeah, yeah, because I experienced trauma as a kid mm -hmm. and it's pretty severe trauma. Mm -hmm. And um, I never got into drugs mm -hmm. and I don't know why. I mean, I know there's addiction in my family, not not extreme. You know, right. my parents aren't addicts or anything. But I don't, I'm shocked I never got into drugs. Like I really am. Right. Never. Like I never experienced, like I've smoked weed. Yeah. I've never experimented with anything else. And I don't know why, because I was really, I was fucked up. I was really fucked up. I drank a lot for a long time, but I, I just don't understand that. Like I try to understand why people use and I, I just wonder how you turn that way or turn to that for your escape. Because I do understand the escape. Oh, it perspective. works. Right. I mean, I did it with alcohol. Hell I did it yes. with women. I did it with. Uh, I'll tell you what. You know. It, it, there's a reason why they're on the planet <laughs> because they fucking work, right? right? They work until they stop working. And when I go speak and I do it a lot, I was doing high schools all the time and then. Uh, some teacher friends that I have said, Todd, you got to start younger. We need you to start sharing with junior high kids because that's when it starts. Yeah, that's when I started drinking. That's when you started drinking. Yeah, and they're right. And the thing is, when I start this, I said, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with drugs and alcohol. They do what they're here to do. Right. But respect them. <laughs> you Holy know? shit. Which I did not, I was a little naive about what happens when you abuse them. When you started using hard drugs, were you using them with teammates? Oh yeah. Okay, so like- Always. I, I'm always looking at it like, these are the athletes, and then this is this path you can go down and go with the, right. the druggies or whatever. Right. Because that's kind of where my choice came in, and I had a friend, one of my best, best friends who went down yeah. that path. Right, he it was a up, clear difference of the Yes, he, yeah. he stopped playing sports, yeah. we grew up playing sports right. together. He ended up going to prison for murder. He's still in prison. I think he might be getting out soon. But that was a, a clear line that he chose and he 
send me a letter after he went away saying, I wish I went that way. Yeah. You know? Right. With the, that group of friends. Right. And, you know, we cared about school and football and basketball and girls and going to college and drinking, sure, partying, but you were doing that with teammates. And this is, you mean at SC or high school? I mean, well, high school, you're drinking with your friends. High school, drinking, smoking, smoking weed. weed. And those guys were some athletes, some not, but yeah. mostly athletes because yeah. those are the guys that I bonded with. Without freaking sports, I would have been a loner. Yeah. I would have been so alone and an artist. Yeah. And it would have been a totally different uh, journey. And, and I always had friends from those different groups. They weren't always athletes. And we had one thing in common, and that was getting high. Yeah, I just had no idea that I was. That was my solution to living. There was no like fucking any other option. It just made life tolerable. And so when kids, and especially here in California, it's shit fucking legal to smoke weed. How do you say don't? I'm not gonna say. I'll never say don't. Because I truly believe I'm on this planet because of that. It almost took me out because it led to other things for me. But I truly believe it's not a gate. It's not fucking weed. Ain't the gateway drug. No, I don't think it is either. No. But if you have, like we talked about it, in your makeup, in your you know genetic, can you be more susceptible to addiction? There's some things you need to be aware of, which I fucking was clueless. Yeah, without the trauma, do you think you would have got into drugs? I probably would. I, For the yeah, social anxiety yes, aspect of I, it. I just, I, I was so, and I think that's just part of fucking that time in our lives where we're just so uncertain and trying to, trying to fit in. I didn't, sport, athletics, sports saved my ass, so did art, and so did drugs. Now, as I got older, <laughs> It became really clear that what worked then is not working now. Do you mean that drugs made it possible for you to be in certain situations? Yeah. So that's why, in a way, it saved you. It saved me. Okay. Because I just could, I couldn't deal with uh, the pressure, pressure, emotional uh, pain, and all, all these substances softened everything. They work until you cross you cross a line and they don't work. And that's why it was so hard. And that's why it's so hard for people to walk away from that because uh, they've been doing it and it is, it's their answer. It, it's, it's been the hardest uh, thing for me. And now I've adapted and embraced a way of life which is far more rewarding, enjoyable, and just rich and uh, authentic. Uh, the list goes on and on. And, it's all, here it is, it's all about connection. If drugs and alcohol and an addiction, it truly is separation. You're separate, it's separating you from you. There's no more relationship with self. And it's separating like your friend, it's separating me from you. And it's separating me from this connection with this life force. The solution would be a connection. And what we've, how we've been treating people with this affliction and struggle the same thing separation we're separating ourselves and shaming which is not healthy we need to embrace and connect so addiction is separation 
and recovery is a connection. And that, that's, like I said earlier, I was seeking to connect with people. I just didn't know how to do it. And now I do. It's <laughs> fucking great. You talked about religion or spirituality a bit. One of the times you got arrested, you wrote that your occupation was artist and anarchist. What are your political leanings? Did that reflect your political leanings in any way, or you were just out of your mind? Out of my mind. Yeah. Knowing that, knowing that, you know, an anarchist, anarchist is just uh, a rebel against all conformity, and truly with a uh, a free spirit uh, that I have and was born with, I I have changed. There's no recovery unless there's change. It's it's just hand in hand. Got a lot of mentors, man, because I don't know shit. Yeah. Even through my experience, I've learned. I'm not one to really learn from lectures, so I gotta catch. I gotta catch myself when I'm talking to my kids. I'll tell you, because they're not listening to what I'm saying, <laughs> and I know this from experience. Right. I was a master. Like we were tuning them out. Tuning out, master. <laughs> I have a PhD. Yeah. In nodding my head. And it going in one ear and out the other. So when I get on that soapbox and I try to leave that shit at home. Because that's not connecting. No, it's not connecting. And I, and I, what my favorite part when I do speak is question and answer. Let's, let's talk as two human beings. I don't care if I'm 50 and you're 15. Yeah. I still, if I don't see a mirror... I, it's fucking bizarre, this age thing. If I don't see a mirror, I swear to God, I ain't 50 inside. I'm still a kid. I'm not 40. <laughs> Trust me. No. Trust me. Oh. No. So I, I just, I love, uh, I love kids, man. And I'm involved, you know, for the first time in my life. It's time for me to, uh, to give back because I've been, I've been given a lot. Our kids are our future. And it's that's not like a breaking news. We need to really, and I need to, you know, I can only control me. And what do I want to spend my time with? I want to spend my time encouraging youth through what I know. And what I know is I'm, I'm my most free when I'm creating. And that's either creating on the field, creating on the canvas, or creating musically with an instrument. I just, uh, it's priceless, and so I want to share that with people. You know where I think that leads you? Where? To mentoring. Ah! You could really have a big impact on, especially other athletes who have gone through what you've gone through. I don't know if you've reached out to any, um, or if any have reached out to you. There's a guy who's been in the news recently. I wish I knew him. Huh. Um, are you familiar with Delonte West? No. He's uh, an NBA player. He was a first-round pick with the Celtics. I'm a big Celtics fan. Okay. Played with LeBron in Cleveland. Wow. Um, and he's a, that's he's, what he's probably his... 35 years old. Uh-huh. He is homeless, drug addict. Yep. He is in D.C. And some videos surfaced last week. He was in the street, got beat up really bad. He was oh. handcuffed by the cops. And he was spouting just, you know, nonsense That's and talking right. about, like, I'm a Navy SEAL, I'm this, I'm that. And it's just, it was heartbreaking yeah. to see. And 
his teammates have spoke about trying to reach out to him and trying to get him help. He, he clearly has not just drug problems, but mental, mental health problems. Yeah. And uh, I just feel like someone like you could be a real impact on someone like him. And I, I do, you know, I have a connection with athletes and you know what? I, what I'm doing now, I don't know if I'll be doing in five years. I don't. I don't know. And I'm that's all, honest. Yeah, and yeah. I'm totally open to be doing something completely different. And if it's mentoring, if it's working with athletes, if it's training athletes, yeah. I have a I, I have a lot of information that I'm willing to just give away. I don't want to get rich. <laughs> I didn't do well with a few million dollars thirty <laughs> years ago, so why would I do well with it now? <laughs> One of my favorite things I read about you, and I wanted to pick your brain about this story, was when I think it was when you left the Raiders mm-hmm. and you just went down to Mexico and went surfing. Yes, because that sounds ideal. Yes, to me. right. But <laughs> you thought you had a ton of money. Yeah, because you had—I don't know how much money you had in the bank at the time, but yeah, it was more money than I could count at the right. time. Right. <laughs> Where did you go? Were you down in Oaxaca? I was like Cabo. I was all over. I had a great vehicle. You were camping, right? Yeah, sleeping in my Toyota Land Cruiser, surfboards on the racks, and uh, by yourself? No, I would pick up. You know, friends wouldn't want to go the whole journey, so some would fly in. Some would. I dropped some off. I I went all the way into Northern California. I wasn't a really a big fan of cold water big shark yeah. surfing. Yeah. Sharks scare me. Yeah. I saw some in Miami recently when I was out there surfing. Yeah. No, no. It's not a, a, a fear that's going to keep me out of the water. No. But in some places, it's, it's more real than others. So, you know, I was doing all that. I was running and... Uh, I don't need to do that today. Um, you mean you were running as far as like trying to get away? Trying to get away. Yeah. And, and but was that trip? Was that trip fun? Oh yeah. It sounds like it was. Yeah, great. because I you mean, know, besides the... for for decades, I had to be somewhere, and I had to. It was consistent, and yeah. I mean consistent. Like there's just no days off, and and so I had like that internal clock that when it was time to practice. And, I didn't have to. It was da- the the free time was dangerous, <laughs> definitely <laughs> unhealthy. It's a miracle that I'm fucking sitting here with you. I believe it. Yeah. The, I believe it. If there's just there's no doubt. Uh, if there's one thing I know that there's there is a presence that has had me this whole time because there were a decade, the dark years where. I was a junkie, and junkies just don't live long. When you're when you're doing that on a daily basis, several times a day, I don't know what I'm putting in that syringe. And God, it it's staggering to think that I had any part in me being here today. I had no part because I was trying. I was never gonna consciously put a gun in my mouth, but I was committing a slow suicide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I totaled, I cartwheeled a friend's Jeep Cherokee a few years ago on the five freeway 12 times and not was one of my several concussions. I, I walked away from that thing and I went to get my stuff out of the car at the uh, 
impound. The car was obviously totaled. The whole car was flattened to the seats, the roof to mm-hmm. the seats, mm-hmm. except the driver's seat. There was a bubble. Yep. Now that's shit. Halo. Come on. Come on. I, I, I almost fainted because in the state I was in, I, I thought it was just a fender bender. Divine, divine intervention. Yeah. 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 So, there, so it gives me hope that um, I'm on the right path. How long have you been sober and clean? here it's 12 o'clock I slept in this morning so I've been doing this thing for six hours and I stay in today all I have is today and when I I live like when I live like that when I focus on this is it my life is fucking amazing and there's been some very painful lessons my best soulmate and I always thought God's soulmate has to be a the opposite sex right or the same sex this was my buddy uh, Marco and he was the first one that would never lecture um, I did everything with he had nine years of sobriety which at that point in my life I thought he was uh, in the clear in the clear and he's no longer here so time is an illusion I start racking up time and counting time and thinking, oh, I've actually accomplished stuff. I'm okay. Fuck that. And that was a hard, hard, hard lesson to uh, realize that all I have is right, right here. And when I focus on right here, days add up. (laughs) They're fucking going to add up. So I'm not counting them. Fair enough. Yeah. I, a lot of people in my life don't know what it's like to be high on most of these drugs. Weed and stuff like that is pretty common, but right. can you give me one word to describe each drug? Tell me like what, what comes to mind when I say heroin. The womb. Meth. Superman. That's descriptive. They're both very... Very descriptive. Uh-huh. Were you part of this whole new fentanyl substitution for heroin? Did you ever, do you know of, get yes. high on fentanyl? It is, uh, it's next level heroin. It's just, it's super, I mean, heroin, just heroin in general. Um, any opiate is, I did not believe there was a chance that I would ever come out of that. Yeah. It had a grip indescribable uh, of the uh, the hold and the pull and anything that made me feel so comfortable in me when you don't have it it's an indescribable there is nothing you won't do to get away from that feeling of it's like fucking hell it is, it is a, a grip like no other grip. To be able to um, live free of that, I, I really didn't think it was fucking even possible. And so I have so much respect for people that are living and uh, have recovered really from a, a hopeless 
existence. And I was completely, that's a, that's a fucked existence when you're hopeless. The recovery rate is minuscule. Yeah. Yeah. And what about crack? One word? God, a Jones. That, that shit is, I mean, it's ridiculous, really. It's a 10, 15 second high, and then a fucking miserable, miserable Jones. Like want, craving, Mm -hmm. gotta have another one. And the next one you get, it's not like the first one. Mm-hmm. It is just, it's like a setup of all setups, man. It fucking, and don't get me wrong, I've gone down that fucking road, but not without a heroin <laughs> fix to bring it down. Yeah. But it's such, I was just, I was prescribing like I'm a doctor. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you were up, uh, up and down. Yeah, and just that you, you thought I, you found that perfect balance. Yeah, and I was just, it is just, I laugh, but it's sad. It is so, that my day-to-day was how, that's all that was on my mind from the moment I wake. Where is it? Do I have enough? Obviously not. I got to get more. I get more. Now I got to do it again. And it's just, talk about a vicious, vicious cycle. And we could walk right out of this room onto the boulevard and we'll see it. See the destruction mm-hmm. of it. It's in every fucking community. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fucking epidemic and it's not being addressed. Kinda. <laughs> you know? So am I gonna just fucking talk about it or am I going to one person at a time show what got me out of it? I feel like on a local level it is addressed, yeah, you know, in a lot of places, but on a national level, what are they really doing? No, yeah. I do not know, and maybe this is ignorant, I do not know what's going on other than in my community. Because where does it start? It doesn't start out there and then, no, it starts right here, right now, me and you, yeah. and then what we do when we walk out of here. Yeah. And every person that I come into contact with, if they show a freaking sliver of willingness to change I'm gonna show them not just tell them show them what I did to change that's it I can't I you know what I can't I will talk about it but I'd rather show you and that's what I was when I was little like you were talking about it we were out there seeing what we wanted to go then play like yep. whoever that is from our generation and yep. this has been going on before long before us that we see guys that just are that just make us go wow and then we go out and try to emulate them yep you can talk about fucking michael jordan until you're blue in the face but you want to see that shit right it's all it's truly all about action we can talk and talk and talk but let's let's go out and and make a change instead of talking about a change i gotta piss and i wanted you to tell me uh about LSD. Oh, shit. Because I, I read you were using that after games? Yeah. For a period of time? Yeah, like every weekend because it didn't show up on test. Yeah. I enjoyed hallucinogenics. You know, it was just because of circumstance. I, I, because of drug testing? Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have been frying every weekend if weed was legal. 
<laughs> that's, that's pretty crazy, but I really think, and this sounds crazy, that everybody in the right environment um, would benefit from either you know, mushroom or LSD trip. Well, I'm, I listen to, you ever listen to Joe Rogan? Is he on the same page? Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's constantly talking. It's a big thing now. This microdosing, uh-huh. um, taking a tiny bit, and uh-huh. you know, expanding your mind, and uh-huh. kind of just puts you in this different level of yeah thought. Yeah, really. It's um, a, yeah. If there's a purpose, what's the purpose? You know, and if, if it's just not to check out from life, yeah, on a daily basis, I I think it's here to be used. I. Yeah. Not partaking anymore, but yeah, <laughs> certain people should avoid yeah, right? all substances. <laughs> yes, I fall into that class. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. my right to um, escape has been revoked, yeah. and uh, I'm okay with that. I'm completely in acceptance of that fact, and it was it was my, of my doing. You escaped long enough. Yeah, I lost decades, man. I'm not gonna. I don't want to lose anymore. That's why I don't sleep much. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, what is your relationship like now with your family and friends? It is as good as it's ever been. It will continue like relationships uh, do, and that's they they evolve. Evolve, right? I was Into say, something different. Yeah. Do you feel like they trust you now? They do. Or you said they, uh, you trusted with kids and things. Yeah. Like yeah. It is like. It's truly uh, a gift. It's not like they never wanted, didn't want to trust me. They just couldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wasn't trustworthy, and now they do, and uh, that means a lot. And I, I, I love consequences today for um, doing right action. It's it's, it's really simple. Showing and, up and yeah. And being that, present. That's all. That's really all I can ask. Mindful. I'm out of the results and into the action. Really, that's it. I, I I try to have really no expectations. I go in with very very low, if any. And so you thought this podcast was gonna suck? I didn't know. And so I I I try to to just completely let go of any preconceived notions. preconceived yeah because um, that that just isn't a good recipe for uh, for living or going into an experience because I have no, the only thing I did was listen briefly to your intro with Shay and got to hear your accent so I knew you weren't from here yeah. I got to feel your passion for basketball, and it brought me back to some of the, you know the names you're pulling up, and that's you know that's my era, so yeah. it was cool. And I knew it, it would go, I knew it would be uh, pretty smooth. I didn't think, and then I thought, God, you know what? The way I like to talk these days, I could be here till the sun sets, but I can't. <laughs> All right, I'm trying to, I can't. I'm trying to cut this shorter. <laughs> I did want to know a little bit about your relationship with your brother. You had a younger brother, Mikhail. 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 Played uh, football at Syracuse. What was your dad's relationship like with him? Was it you to a lesser degree, or was it a completely different experience for him? It was a different experience for him, and it was still his experience. And because uh, your dad had mellowed out. Yeah, at that he time? was. A, 
he was still Marv, but at a, a different intensity, which is still off the charts for the normal man. <laughs> sure. So his, uh, he was affected by it. His relationship with uh, Marv is, it wasn't like mine and wasn't ever. We had such an age difference. Yeah. And I was, when, his, when he was going through his childhood, I was you know playing and doing my thing. And so we're not close. What's uh, he, 25 or 30? Yeah, I'm sure he's closer to 30. God, 18 years. So yeah, 32. Okay. You know, I, I have a great relationship with, with his mother. She's awesome. I talk to her a, a lot, and uh, we go to see Marv together because she loves. You know, she they're uh, divorced. She's just a great lady and still loves Marv. Uh, he's forgotten who she is, but she goes with me, and I bring my guitar, and she loves my music. And so, pretty much, we're hanging out, uh, talking about experiences, and uh, Marv's there. He's not engaging too yeah, much. Yeah. yeah. My dad plays the guitar. Does he? Yeah. It's bitching. He's always been into music. It's cool. Very cool. Yeah. The house on Manhattan Beach sounded like fun. Oh, it was a fucking blast, bro. That was your rookie year? Yeah, that was my rookie oh, year. Oh, my God. Yeah. And speaking of your rookie year, can you give me some details about that rookie party you threw? Oh, I loved... Uh, I get this from my mom. Are there videos of that? <laughs> no, I was going to say this before video cameras, oh but no, God. there was no, no videos allowed. And so set it up a little bit for the listeners. Well, every rookie after every training camp, the first round pick for the Raiders is in charge of the party that's thrown right after the last cut. So you got your squad, you got the guys that are going to be there for the season and training camps grueling. I was thinking back to high school. Everybody who's played high school football knows about Hell Week and how demanding it is. And then you just throw five more weeks on top of it. Jesus. So um, at the end of that time, um, during camp, I'm just asking questions about, so what was your favorite, to veterans, what was your favorite rookie party that was thrown? And I took a little bit of pieces, pieces of each. from each one. And my mom is a, um, she... It's in her makeup of entertaining, throwing parties. Okay. So I got that from her, and she actually is the one that found me the venue. Um, I didn't want to have it in public. It was like a ranch? It was a ranch. Where it was, was it? It was in Oxnard, where our training yep. camp was, yep. which is agriculture. It was just this big open barn. She knew the person that owned it, and I did not want it because there were some incidences when they were in a city and a bar of course mm -hmm. there's people that are trying to get in there's people you know so it it wasn't conducive to allowing teammates to cut loose so i wanted to make it the most relaxing and fun like a party supposed to be and so we were on a ranch in a barn um, i knew that the big boys the guys that made my job so easy um, like to eat. It was a barbecue on a trailer that's just this huge grill. And so they were grilling most of the night every type of meat because they're meat eaters and obviously alcohol and women. I heard. Yeah. 
Yeah, and some for everybody. Yes, and that's the spice of life. So there was black, brown, white, and there were professional dancers, and there were porn stars, and um, I didn't foresee the competition that ensued when the dancers started and then the porn stars jumped. They were trying to outdo which just up the ante. It sounds like <laughs> a competition I would like to see. <laughs> it was good. And it was talked about well after I was uh, not playing anymore. So. Stuff of legends. Yeah, it was yeah. great. You did have some good memories, that's for sure. Yeah, very good. How'd you pass drug tests? God, it was the most... Because uh, at USC, I know you were... I began that. Yeah. That's where it all started. When our defensive tackle, who was a four-year All-American at SC, not saying a fucking lot, Tim Ryan. He oh, yeah, played yeah, for the Bears. Yeah. He's a commentator. Is, isn't he the one who just said that shit about the arm color of yes. Lamar Jackson yeah. being the same as the ball? Yes. Yeah. And, when, mouth. Yeah. and if you know Tim, you know he's calling it from a defensive lineman's perspective and knows that it's valid. It's not trying to bring race at all or prejudice at all it's coming from a football player standpoint that that's a factor but at, he knows when he says it that it's just something's gonna you know it's gonna well be in today's out, world know? people are looking for something as i think ridiculous as that when knowing that if if you've done this you're as a as a job of following the ball that that's fucking common well, sense. Well, I do know in baseball you're not allowed to wear white sleeves when you pitch because there you the, go because it's because it's a factor. Yeah. So he made a point, and uh, anyways, Tim brought me and my best friend Matt Gee, a linebacker, and he sat us both down and said, "Okay, I got three. When they come to you, they meaning yeah. administration, coaching staff, anybody who's not us." With allegations of any kind, I got three words for you. Deny, deny, deny. And then, soon after that, we had, it was a meeting with all the guys in the know that were partying, and that was half, no, maybe not half, mm -hmm. a good percentage of the guys that are making a difference in the game. Well, how are we gonna beat this? And so they were coming up with all different contraptions, and I always felt comfortable with having nothing no tubes or nothing, just a small little bottle. And I went with that for years. I was just became a master at it. But along with the whole deception and... And where are you keeping these? In your locker or like in your bag? Bag, locker. When I was with the Raiders, I'd put that bottle, because I was getting tested four to five times a fucking week. It mm. was the anxiety, the stress. Damn. It was definitely not worth it, but I was in a position where I... I just had to. Yeah. Uh, I'd bring it in in the morning. I'd put it in my locker in hot coffee to warm it up, take it out of the coffee, put it, because I was wearing those kind of spandex, long underwear type yeah. things, and put it right underneath the junk, and then would just have a relationship with the tester, because it was the same guy every day, and talk about stuff, and claim stage fright. Can I get a little water going? And then I'd give a quick squirt. God, it was so time-consuming and so mind-consuming and stressful and just... It sounds like it. It, wasn't, it was not worth it. And because of all that, that it's kind of that fear, um, I can't 
pee in the trough at a, at a game. I can't do it. Yeah. I have to go, like, we just went and took a piss. I can't go stand next to you. Oh, that explains it. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to go in the stall, and uh, I'll wait if I have to just to go in some privacy in the stall so I can relax. And it's Stage just, fright. yeah, from years of that, it's just ridiculous. If you could change anything about your past, what would you change? <sighs> I can't. I am just so excited because I wake up um, excited about the possibilities of the future and I don't future trip. I just know that when I live today like I did yesterday, if I just do the same formula of being open and honest and open-minded and non-judgmental and uh, accepting of people no matter where they're at, taking time to connect with people. God, the future, I get chills. Because like I said, I am totally okay if I am not an artist. I'll always be an artist, but if I'm not an, actually getting paid to paint five years from now or two years from now, it, it does not, it won't affect me because I'll always, I have a feeling it's gonna be people oriented because I have found the love um, of people my sense of, thank god I'm so grateful that I have a, a pretty classic sense of humor that I find humor in most things and I'm aware of it because if you can't <laughs> if you can't laugh at yourself it's gonna be a long road so I assume <laughs> that you were laughing because I heard I read something that was hilarious okay well, it was sad uh, but, but at the hilarious. same time yeah hilarious. Welcome back, Kata. Oh, yeah. That's, that was legit. Oh, that was That's legit. unbelievable. Yeah, that's good stuff. Great song, too. Yeah. Great show. <laughs> Great show, right? Oh, my God. You know what? You, I'm hoping you're on this one, bored with me, because I was just sharing this with this, my buddy who's a caddy, and uh, he lives in New York, and I was like, did you ever watch The White Shadow? Of course. <laughs> I loved it. That was, um, that was created by Gwyneth Paltrow's dad. No shit. Bruce Paltrow. That was one of my most Love that show. favorite shows. Salami? <laughs> so, so great. And that was like the years where that's all I wanted to do was play on a high school team like oh. Carver. <laughs> that was my dream. He that, And Ken Reeves, the coach, Ken he Reeves. died like last year or something. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. God, he played a great part. So he was did. the principal. She was hot kind of yeah. in her own way. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and they had a kind of a little, a little chemistry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love that. Shit. The, uh, so the, the Welcome Back Carter stuff was, oh. you were such a regular at, what, Newport Beach Jail? Orange or County Jail. Orange County yes. Jail. That, what, every time you came back or one time when you came yeah, back? Yeah, it was a few times. They, they played, played the theme song to Welcome yeah. Back, Carter. Welcome back, welcome yes. back, welcome back. Uh -huh. <laughs> and along with the Raider. That one, yeah. Which, wow. you know. And there's another experience that I think everybody should, one time, just for the human ex experience of being put in a box. I've been in the box. <laughs> okay, good for you. <laughs> I don't need another one. And I don't think anything should stay there. Um, it's inhumane, but it, it affected me in a way that I have uh, 
uh, have empathy and sympathy for uh, people that are spending their lives in there. Yeah. 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 It's uh, a, a definitely some form of torture involved there. For sure. Last question. What do you want to be remembered for? Well, you know, this is super cool and I'm aware, I'm more aware than I used to be. And I hope this awareness increases with every passing day. That's, that's kind of a hope because you can't, what you believe to be true, you can't un, you can't undo that. Mm -hmm. I'm aware today that I get to create things that are a part of me that will last way, way longer than me and will last longer than Baron and Coco and their kids. Because I love, I absolutely love going to uh, museums and seeing stuff that I don't care who really did it, but I, I end up taking a closer look and it's really stunning to me. It grabs me visually and emotionally that how, how old is this fucking I think that's why I do this. I want to leave something, something behind. Yeah, and I think that that's I a human, a human, uh, because we know that we're only here for a minute, really, more than a minute. But in the grand scheme of things, not very long. And so, obviously, children are part of us, and they're left. Genealogy is something that is a trace of us, but actually, something that we created. That is. That is cool, and it's uh, and and I'm really honored when people, you know, approach me and then commission me to do something to hang in their homes because it is the most sacred place in a person's life is where they call home, and something that I that I paint, uh, they get to enjoy and, and appreciate for their generations, and so I get to spread this love in a sense to uh, people that I don't know and I get to connect with and, it, and it's a way you know and, and I've been doing it in a strange way since I've been on the planet because what I used to shy away from and, and cringe when somebody would recognize me from from playing yeah and now I can really allow them because obviously it's been a long time since I put a you know I was wearing USC colors or Raider colors that if they recognize me today like 30 year fucking years later and and they're excited that I can give them this opportunity to explain to me and share with me what was it that what did I do or game that I played in that they remember to this day and that's some cool shit because um I was missing out on, on all these experiences running from that and, and not honoring the so many, so many fans that uh, all they really wanted to do was connect. Yeah. And I was running from it. You know what I think is cool is that I think that you're proud to be Todd Marinovich now. Wow. You seem really proud. That's good shit, Matt, because I just got to chill on that one. I don't get chills on lives. <laughs> Ever. It's the truth. Yeah. That I never, you know, I learned that through the last couple hours of yeah. speaking with you. Yeah. You seem really proud. Yeah, it's a, uh, I don't have any, there was so much shame of, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. And it's all. I lived with shame for a long time yeah. myself. 
and we're all kind of we're all in this together and people that have watched and people that have really influenced there's a connection there and it doesn't matter if you were across the country reading these stories and then you went fuck I like that I'm gonna put that on the wall I did the same shit and so when there's like two people that I went oh my god mom I'm not gonna get an autograph because I'm not really into that yeah but I want a picture yeah with Walter Payton <laughs> I went to school with his son well yeah. what a fucking the man yeah right for me sweetness no was I was at the right age too it it and then the and then they were in the same building at the same time was Dr. J oh. and I was like you gotta be shitting me yeah I'm getting a picture and uh, where was this it was at a uh, awards banquet I was being honored in high school okay but those guys were you know so we like all have those all yeah something like that and then we all have these these people that we uh, that changed us in a way and yeah. that we want to aspire to to be like and it's a fucking honor if anybody was in their backyard going Marinovich back to pass <laughs> and people tell me that <laughs> which is like yeah. fucking rad it is it is rad it is yeah well we're just uh two guys who used to play quarterback <laughs> that's right that now have more hair in our face than we <laughs> with that said i just want to say thank you for this yeah thank you i hope it was a little therapeutic it was man I, I feel uh, I have a uh, nice uh, feeling of contentment that uh, I was uh, able that somebody wanted to turn on a mic and, and have me talk that's that's cool I'm glad I got the opportunity to meet you yeah you too a sober clean yes you. yeah the the real Todd you yeah got, yeah and people uh, I've been getting uh, some uh, good reviews, and I, I don't, I don't see it. The most important reviews are Baron and Coco. Yes, I hope, I hope that they're yes. really proud of their dad. They are. I'm sure they you are. You know what? What is amazing to me is the excitement when every time that I that they see me. That's not the way. You know, I uh, I didn't want to be that guy that um, or that dad that. There was any sinking going on when uh, I walked into the room. They they lighten up, and that's. Do they know how big of a deal you were? <laughs> they're so funny when they were little. They're still little, but I took them to the USC UCLA game just this past year. Wow! And and I've been taking them, not together. I always just take one or the other, but this last. They just go, God, what? Were you famous? What is it? And then now, at least, you know, Barron's at the age where he knows that I played. And, and, and it, he's surprised that, because I'm super old to him, that, that people remember. And because, of course, none of his friends, but there's some parents that still do. And so, yeah, yeah it's a, dude, it's a trip. I'm sure it is. It's a fuck. It's a trip. That's all I could say. And and I'm enjoying the trip. And I'm not trying to figure out the trip. I'm really just letting it, kind of just riding it. 
because it, there, there's no need to hide and there's no, uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of no matter where you're at and you're like, on this journey. That's the gig, man. I can't, how can I, how can I judge somebody for doing whatever? I am no better or no worse. And, uh, in a lot of cases I've been there and, uh, it's, uh, well in six years I'll be 48 and when you were 48 you threw for seven touchdowns <laughs> in some yeah that's right out of here right in. but right. that's my goal <laughs> I'm gonna try to suit up again you can come out and play with that team it still okay. exists man they're building a stadium for these guys out here really yeah so what's it's, the league you know what I don't even know that <laughs> yeah it's a good bunch of guys that like playing football hey yeah but you did it yeah it was a pleasure, Tom. Thanks, man. This is good shit. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I truly feel blessed to be able to meet people like Todd. I left that conversation feeling good about life. His perspective is unique. He's really complex and one of the most interesting people I've ever met. I meant it when I told him it was therapeutic. It really was. I found this stuff about the EMDR therapy, the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. That stuff, I had never spoke to anybody about it personally. I'd seen it on TV. So to hear that it actually worked was fascinating. It definitely makes me curious to try it. So after we recorded, we grabbed a couple burritos. You know, we're in California, so you know they got good Mexican. Grabbed a couple burritos and headed over to his art gallery where he showed me a bunch of his work. He's really good, really good. Uh, there's a couple pieces in there I would, I definitely wouldn't mind putting in my home. You can find this work at marinovichart.com or on Instagram, marinovich.art. He also has a Facebook fan page under his name, Todd Marinovich. I need to have him on again. There's so much I didn't even touch upon with him. There was so many more questions. It was some of the longest notes I've ever had for an episode. There was so much I wanted to talk to him about. And it's always good to check up on somebody who's in recovery to see how that process is going. So we're definitely going to check in with him again down the line. What do you think of the music? I got, uh, I got some actual music now. I got the rights to some tracks by a friend of a friend, Nesby Phipps from New Orleans. These are his original tracks. And thank you to B-Dot for putting me on to Nesby. He's a friend of his from, from New Orleans. Comes from a musical family. Uh, Mahalia Jackson is his grand auntie. He's worked with Lil Wayne. Currency, Juvenile, Mac Main, all those New Orleans guys, and even uh, Wiz Khalifa. So you will be hearing his music on Keeping It A Hundo going forward. And I think you're going to hear him on the podcast. We're trying to get something together with maybe uh, have Nesby on and talk about his experience through music and uh, his experience growing up in New Orleans. And if I was still doing it the old school way where I was 
just picking a, a track, a famous track by a well-known artist and putting it on there without the rights. For this one, for Todd, I'd probably go with Neil Young, Old Man. When I was in his art gallery, he had a copy of Neil Young's biography sitting on the table. So he's been reading that and he's big into that type of music. So I would definitely go with that. It would definitely fit the theme of this episode with Todd and his relationship with Marv. I feel like Todd has more in store for his life too. He could really make a difference in people's lives. Like I said, mentoring and just helping people out that have been through the same thing as him. I can see him getting into that type of thing down the road. But for now, he's got young kids. That's not the end of Todd Marinovich. What a likable guy. His laugh, his spirit, his outlook on life now. I wish him nothing but the best. But that's it for keeping it a hundo. Thank you for listening.